This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for Episode 74 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Chances are you're familiar with GDPR, the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation. It went into full effect back in May of this year, with the goal of improving the privacy and security of European citizens in particular, but the global community overall as well. One of the impacts of GDPR was that it made the Whois database private. Whois is the searchable online directory of domain name registrations, and some security researchers had concerns that spammers might take advantage of this anonymity to increase their registration rate of domain names, making it easier for them to send out their spam. Alan Liska is a senior security architect at Recorded Future, and he analyzed several months' worth of data on spam rates to see if the expected uptick came to pass. And Alan wasn't alone on this project. He had assistance from his son, Bruce, who interned at Recorded Future this past summer and co-authored the report. We'll hear from Bruce as well. Stay with us. Well, it was interesting. There was a lot of concern in the security community that when GDPR was enacted in Europe, that it was going to lead to a flood of new spam campaigns that will would essentially work undeterred or be undeterred because of the uh, fact that who is privacy uh, is now the default standard. So that some researchers rely heavily on who is data to do analysis of domain names and uh, make connections between domain names and tie them to campaigns. And with that information now being private by default, a there was concern that that would lead to a flood of spam. And so we wanted to see what the truth on the ground was, uh, whether or not there'd been a huge uptick in spam. So let's just back up a little bit here for folks who might not be uh, completely up on it. Can you give us a rundown of what exactly the Whois database is, how it came to be, and how it works? Sure. So Whois has been around, I think, pretty much since the start of domain registration. Um, but basically what it is is it's a database of who registered a domain, contact information, um, phone numbers, email addresses, as well as what registrar was used and what name servers that domain is tied to. So all of that's produced in a command line tool that, you know, basically you type in who is recordedfuture.com and you get all the information about recorded future. Hmm. Over the years, there have been things that uh, domain registrars have put in place to prevent some of that information from being seen, such as domain privacy. Domain privacy means that you don't know who registered a domain, what their phone number is, what their contact information is. You still have the day it was registered, who the registrar was, and what the name servers uh, associated to that domain are. Uh, and, and then there are other things. Some domain registries enforce who is collection more uh, more effectively than others. So there are some domains.com, .net.org that have fairly robust domain uh, who is infrastructures 
But there are other domains, .fun, .men, some of the new domains, uh, a new generic top-level domains that don't have good who is infrastructure and, and, and a lot of the data in there, even before GDPR was put in place, uh, wasn't very good, wasn't very reliable. And, and so what was the rationale for uh, enabling the option of keeping the who is information private? So GDPR in general is a privacy law that was enacted in Europe. And I'm sure any security professional out there, when GDPR first went live or in the months leading up to it, got a whole lot of emails uh, uh, talking about GDPR and so on. So they're probably yeah. familiar with that. One of the side effects, not this was not something that was specifically laid out in GDPR, but one of the side effects is that um, by default, consumer information has to be private. So who is information has always been public. So you can contact the domain owner and, and do what you need to do if to, to resolve a dispute or if there's a problem with the domain or if you're a security researcher and you're trying to determine if the domain is malicious or not. Uh, that's always been public by default, but because of GDPR in general, for domain registrants in Europe, that domain had to be uh, that domain information now had to be set private. Hmm. Uh, most registrars adopted the well. If I'm doing it for you know users in Europe, I'm just going to do it for everybody um, because I, I don't want to make I don't want to take a chance that somebody used the wrong address or something like that and I didn't accidentally make their domain information private. So I'm just going to make everybody's information private. I see. And so the fear was with that privacy setting, uh, what would the spammers be able to do? So who is some security researchers relied fairly heavily on who is information to track down spammers. So uh, a lot of spammers don't have good operational security when they're registering the domain. So they'll, they'll either use their real information and then you can tie all those spam domains together and automatically block those domains, or they'll reuse fake information. So, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll use Joe Smith over and over again, and they'll use the same fake phone number and, and so on. And again, you can tie that information together and say, okay, this is a bad domain. Um, because this person registered it, and every time this person with this who is information has registered domain, it's turned out to be bad. So mm -hmm. we've gone ahead and blocked it now. We can be pr proactive in blocking these bad domains. And so uh, you decided to look into this to take a look at uh, what exactly the results were when it came to email. Uh, what did you find? We looked at data basically um, in the, the the month leading up to uh, GDPR and then the, the month after GDPR and, and extended it a little bit longer to see whether or not there were any immediate trends. Obviously, full disclosure, a month is not a whole lot of time to really calculate what is a trend and what isn't a trend. But we wanted to see if there were any kind of initial patterns that we could determine. The first thing we did was we, we accessed public database. Uh, Cisco maintains a database of spam emails uh, and spam volume specifically. And we wanted to see whether or not there'd been any trend upwards since GDPR. And, and there wasn't. And it turned out there was actually a trend downward, uh, which is normal for the summer months. 
However, the trend downward was a little bit uh, deeper than what we would normally expect in the summer months. So in the summer months, spam campaigns tend to fall off, but we actually saw it fall off more deeply than it, than it normally does. Um, so we thought that was kind of interesting. And then what we did was we queried Spam House. So uh, for people not familiar, Spam House is an organization that tracks spam and spam domains, et cetera, and, and you know, creates what they call real-time blacklists that allow uh, uh, subscribers to Spam House to automatically block these domains and make sure they don't get any mail from these bad domains uh, being sent to their users. And Spam House maintains a list of the top level domains that have the worst percentage of spam. So what I mean by that is because .com is the biggest domain, uh, it has the most number of bad domains, but it actually has a relatively small percentage of bad domains. Hmm. So you know it may have 100,000 bad domains, but there are 10 million .com domains. Right. So it has a relatively low percentage. What we wanted to look at is the ones that are really bad. Um, so domains like .fun and .men are two that we specifically mentioned in the article that have a um, relatively high percentage of spam. So somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 or 80 percent of domains registered uh, in those top level domains are used for bad purposes, whether that's spam, phishing, uh, other types of malware, et cetera. Because the you know, Spam House maintains that list, we wanted to look to see whether or not there had been an uptick in those domains because people are already using these bad domains. And so we thought maybe if they were getting ready to launch new campaigns, they would register more of these domains and these bad domains. And I'll let Bruce explain what he found. Yeah, but before we uh, jump in, I want to uh, take a moment to introduce Bruce. Uh, so, Alan, uh, you had a, a special assistant uh, this summer to help you dig through some of this data here. Uh, Bruce, can you introduce yourself? Hi, I am Bruce. I worked at Recorded Future this past summer doing data analytics for the professional services team. And most importantly, your relationship to Alan is... Um, he's my father. All right. <laughs> That's what we were going for. So let's dig through some of the things that you found here, Bruce. Take us through uh, what you discovered. Um, overall, like my dad said, there was a downward trend in all of them. Um, not all, but a lot of the um, domains. A lot of like the domain, um, like .coms and all that. Well, .com actually went up to about like 51%. Before it was like forty something percent, but most of the other, um, most of the other like .dot net and all that, they all went down by most of them went down by a lot as a percentage of total domains yeah, registered. As a percentage. Now let's go through some of the the general um, email volume statistics here, uh, uh, Bruce. Uh, if you could go through some of this with us, uh, this this was interesting to me. I think for most of us, uh, you know, email is one of those things that's just constant. It's there, but I don't know that many of us really consider the amount of volume that, that flows through email and the percentage of it that's spam. Can you sort of run through some of these numbers that you all included in your research? Um, yeah, about 433, almost 434 billion messages are sent through email every day or Gmail every day. And spam accounts for about 370 billion of those messages, which is about 85% of all emails sent. Yeah, I think that's uh, remarkable that 85% of all email uh, is spam. Yeah. 
You say that you did see the volume of email fall off, but that was most likely a seasonal thing. Um, what what are your conclusions here, based on the data that you're seeing? Where the the fears of uh, of an outbreak of spam were they unfounded, or or do we still sort of in a wait and see mode? Right now, we're in a wait and see mode. Um, it's way too early to determine any uh, trends. In, in, instead. What we what we wanted to point out is that the initial concern was uh, that there was going to be a huge flood of spam. Doesn't seem to be happening, and and people don't seem to be preparing to launch a bunch of spam. Now, of course, things can obviously change and change rapidly. Interestingly, there have been a couple of rebuttal blog posts that have been published since we delivered this, hmm. and, and one of the assertions that I think people think we're making that we're not making is that this fall off in spam was directly caused by GDPR. And that's not really the point that we're making. All we're observing is that there hasn't been a a big increase in spam since GDPR, GDPR is enabled. We're not attributing any fall off in new domain registrations or any fall off in uh, spam that we're seeing to the fact that GDPR was enabled, simply that the jump hasn't happened the way the way some security researchers thought it would. Right. So from here, uh, we stay tuned and we see uh, what's going to happen over the next few months, I suppose. Uh, yep, I agree. So, Bruce, uh, just to, to switch gears a little bit uh, before we uh, before we leave you guys today, I mean, uh, share with us, so what was the experience like? You were interned at Recorded Future this summer. Uh, spent some time with your father along the way. Uh, how was that experience for you? I thought it was. I thought it was actually really fun. Normally, I'm used to being told what to do by my father, but since I didn't directly work under him, we worked together instead of be, instead of him telling me exactly do this and do that. I see. And so, Alan, how did that work out for you? You know, the challenge for me is that everybody liked him better than they liked me um, <laughs> because. They would give him a. They would give him a, a, an assignment. Um, you know, he did a whole lot of number crunching for a lot of different people. Um, so Bruce has aspirations to be a data scientist, and uh, he did a lot of number crunching for a lot of different people. And everybody was really impressed with how quickly he responded, how quickly he got the data that was needed, and got the numbers back to them, and then could actually answer questions about the conclusions that were being drawn. So that was, uh, uh, it's tough being the second most popular uh, member of a family in, in, in an office. <laughs> yes, yes. I used to work with my wife, so I am familiar with that, actually. But, uh, <laughs> well, uh, gentlemen, uh, thanks for taking the time for us today. It's an interesting report. It's uh, 90 Days of GDPR, Minimal Impact on Spam and Domain Registration. Uh, Bruce, I certainly wish you the best. And uh, Alan, how how nice that Recorded Future uh, provided this opportunity for both of you. Yeah, I'm actually hoping um, that we can figure out a way to do more of these internships going forward. You know, Bruce obviously was a special case because he's got the data scientist background. He's got the programming background. So, you know, he had sort of the experience coming in. But I'm hoping we can work with more high school kids going forward to give more of them an opportunity like this. Our thanks to Alan and Bruce Liska for joining us. Their research is titled 90 Days of GDPR, Minimal Impact on Spam and Domain Registration. 
You can find it on the Recorded Future website. It's in the blog section. If you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll take the time to rate it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help people find the show. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.